Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Point Podcast. Hope you guys are all doing well. Thursday, um, already uh, almost done the week here, and um, a lot of a lot of stuff happening in the world of sports, including some great tennis action last night from down under. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs getting back in the win column after their collapse Monday night. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks and Calgary Flames both playing hockey and then playing so inconsistent hockey, it's really hard to watch on either side. Uh, Edmonton winning last night and then obviously some some NBA action as well and tonight we're going to go through it all uh, also tee up the uh, Gen- Genesis Invitational at Riviera this weekend uh, starting today um, on the PGA Tour the likes of Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, uh, uh, Justin Thomas like nine of the top 10 best players in the world are at this event and it should be a great tournament with a loaded field and uh, likely a top 10 a huge name going to win the tournament if, uh, if I had to put money on it. Um, but I'll start the day talking about the women's match last night, one of the, the first semifinal, and that was Naomi Osaka against Serena Williams. And they hadn't met since 2018 when Osaka beat Serena in the, in the uh, U.S. Open final. It was this match that was kind of co- highly contested. Because, you know, Serena was getting it with a chair ump. And some people really didn't like the way she handled it. She was a bit confrontational. And took away from Osaka ultimately winning the tournament. Um, but, you know, the, the two share similarities in that they're both winners. You know, Osaka's won three majors in the last year and a half. Uh, last year and a half. Serena's obviously a 23-time major champion, the greatest of all time. And going into last night, I think it was the biggest match of the tournament men male or female uh we've seen some big upsets obviously rafael nadal losing in the quarterfinal to stefano Sissipas after leading by two sets was a major upset and, and a shocker for sure but these two for me right now they're the two biggest names in women's tennis you know around canada you might say bianca andrescu to me she can't be in that conversation because she's only won one major she's not consistent enough she's not in the court and it, it just doesn't work Osaka wins the big events. Then you have Serena, the larger-than-life figure, the icon against the, the up-and-coming Osaka, who looks like she's going to be the face of women's tennis for the next you know, five to whatever years. And tennis, for you to have a run where you can control it for a long time, it happens. But the Serenas of the world, you know, the Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, three-pack, it doesn't happen every day. And you know, I think Osaka does have an opportunity right now to, to grab it and kind of run with it. But going into last night, it was the most highly tight. It only started at 11 o'clock last night. So if you, if you didn't watch it, I, I get it. Um, I stayed up to watch it. I had to. Um, these two, it's just too good of a match. And, you know, ultimately, uh, Osaka just was more consistent than Serena last night. She... Last unforced errors, she brought it to her early. Serena struggled with her serve with some double faults. And ultimately, I think Osaka was just in better physical condition than Serena was. I don't think Serena's out of shape by any means, but Osaka at her age, I mean, Serena's 39. Osaka can just get around the court better. She's, she's a great shot maker when you know she's on the run. She can hit the passing shot down the line. It's just Naomi's playing at a very high level right now. She didn't play at the French Open last tournament. She played in was the U.S. Open. She won it, if you remember. So she's she's riding high right now. She's won 
uh, 13 matches consecutively here in, in majors, which is highly impressive. But she beat Serena Williams for the second straight time. And it, it's a obviously a huge win. They share a hug after the match. I think the mutual respect is clearly there. Um, some people don't, a lot of people don't like Serena because she's a little bit brash. Um, I think Serena Williams takes unnecessary heat. I really don't understand why. Um, I think the American media loves her. Fans, fans just reading online really don't like Serena Williams. And I don't understand this. Um, and, you know, I, I get on this with, with people in my family about it. Um, you know, Serena Williams is one of the best athletes in the history of professional sports, male or female. I think she, you could make a very compelling argument that she's the best athlete in the history of sports, better than Jordan, better than Brady, but you name it. She's dominated a sport like nobody, nobody has. Tom Brady's won seven championships. She's won 23 grand slams and Tom Brady went eight years without winning a Super Bowl. Serena Williams did not go eight years without winning a grand slam. She was winning them, just chewing them out against whoever you put up against her. And I, I don't get why there's this, vitri- you know, the media, I, I agree. The ESPN media really loves their, they love Serena Williams. They kiss up to her. She's, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, whatever. You know, I, I don't think she's the greatest person ever, but um, that's not my uh, expertise. I'm just an average Joe here, but for, for fans to, actively root against her again i don't root for anybody to win but most people aren't me most people are fans i don't understand why people have this huge problem with serena williams she's a strong powerful woman and i think for people that for other for men and women but i'm talking about in my experience with women they really don't take to her as a strong force I, i i just i just don't understand it she's this is a big loss. It's a tough loss for her. She cried in her pregame press con- in her postgame press conference. And clearly this loss took a lot out of her. Um, she, this might be farewell in Australia. It could be her last year. I mean, she's 39 years old. We're in a pandemic year. Who knows when fans are going to be back. It could be it for Serena down here. She gets to a semifinal, a great run, beats Simona Halep, the world number two to get here. But Osaka's just better than her right now. And do I think Serena could win another major? Yes, I, I can. Because in women's tennis, even men's tennis in the last two, three years, every major there are upsets, upsets, upsets. Because Naomi Osaka is playing Jennifer Brady for, for the Aussie Open title. Jennifer Brady's in her first career Grand Slam. She's either going to play Jennifer Brady or Carolina Muskova who would have been in her first Grand Slam final. It's it's always this. We see it three years ago at the French Open, Yelena Ostapenko. She was 17 years old. She won. She's never been to a quarterfinal since. But it happens where Victoria Azarenka played Osaka in the U.S. Open final. She was ranked 190th in the world a year and a half ago. It's just, it's this constant shift and you see these women just propel up the ranks. Today, Novak Djokovic beat Eslang Guratsev. He made a semifinal. He's unranked. It happens. 
Rafael Nadal lost today. The only constant in tennis is that Nadal is going to win the French Open. You know that. Other than that, it's a crapshoot because you never know what's going to happen. Novak Djokovic might get himself tossed out of a tournament for hitting a, a ball boy, whatever. Things, shit happens in life and in sports. And so I don't think that Serena hasn't won since 2017. This says more. Like, I don't see her in the same uh, category as Roger Federer. Roger Federer should hang them up. He's done. Uh, he's not going to win another one. Again, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll eat crow here. But I don't see Roger Federer winning another major. With the men's tennis that's out there right now, with Djokovic, no, Djokovic and Nadal are younger and better than him. Uh, and, but for Serena, you never know, but it's, I see it as a passing of the torch in, in a small sense. I don't think Osaka can take the torch yet, but if she beats Brady, um, that'll be Saturday morning at about 4am. It'll be her fourth grand slam title. So in two down under two at the U S open for her to really take that next step into you know, a great, great player, a legend. She has to win in Roland Garros at the French Open and win at Wimbledon. For me, all-time great tennis players, you have to win everywhere. You have to be an all-time, you have to be an all-slam champion. And Serena Williams has done that. You know, Roger Federer, we mentioned, I mentioned Nadal. Now, Nadal's won twice on, on grass, which is Federer's best surface. So that just tells you something there. It, it, you need to win everywhere and for Osaka I think this would be a big step she's beaten Serena here to beat Serena to get to, to the final it, it would be impressive but it's I it's tough for Serena Williams obviously 6-3 6-4 defeat it really wasn't that close of a match for me at, at points it was but I never worried about Osaka losing the match after that first set I said she's cruising here she started the second set holding serve quite easily and I said it's just Naomi's day. She's a better player than Serena right now. But, you know, I don't rule out, you know, the French Opens in June. I don't rule out Serena Williams putting up a good fight there and, and possibly winning it. Uh, I'll never I'll never say she's done. Like I said, just the women's tennis game right now is different. But as she's winding down her career, just bringing it back to the point about just fans and appreciating what you have, she's – She's changed women's tennis. She's put it on the map. Steffi Graf was great. And Chrissy Everett was great. But was women's tennis as popular as it is right now? No, it wasn't. What she's done with Nike, what she's done for women's sports is admirable to say the least. I think she's changed the category and how you look at women in sports. Um, and for Serena... I just think she deserves a little bit more credit. I, the, the media, whatever, as you guys know, if you listen to this podcast, I'm not a big fan of media anywhere. It could be hockey. It could be sports, could be politics, could be anything. I'm, I take it with a grain of salt, but I just think appreciate what you have right now and maybe don't pick out all her faults because we all have faults, but she's done so much for the sport that I think is really admirable. But Good for Naomi Osaka. Like I said, she's closing in on her fourth Grand Slam. She can beat Jennifer Brady. Brady uh, is an American. She's uh, she's beat some good talent to get here. She beat uh, Muscova. 
She beat Jessica Bagula, a, a fellow American. So she's be looking for her first Grand Slam title, but Osaka will clearly be the heavy favorite coming into to that match, and that'll be uh, Saturday morning at about four thirty. That may be Friday. Uh, but yeah, Saturday morning at about four thirty. It's a it's tough tough to figure out the schedule for uh, Australia because it's a day ahead, right? Basically, so you gotta. Yeah, the finals will start about 4 a.m. both um, Saturday and Sunday for the uh, men's and women's titles, uh, singles titles. Um, also, last night I mentioned Djokovic moved on to um, the he won his semifinal in straight sets, clean win, six four, six three, six two. He's seeking his ninth Aussie Open title, and he'll meet the winner of Daniil Medvedev and Stefano Tsitsipas, and they'll play this. Uh, tomorrow morning at 4.30. Um, Medvedev is the favorite. He's been to a Grand Slam final, U.S. Open final, two years ago, losing to Nadal. Sissipas um, has never been to a Grand Slam final. Big opportunity for both guys. But obviously, if it's a long match and it's grueling, it would help Djokovic and, uh, you know, help probably – this is his best surface. It'd be his ninth title here. I mean, that's – pretty incredible what he's done uh, at the Aussie open. And, but I think the tournament's been good so far. Again, this tournament can be tough to track if, you know, if you're, you're working a lot and things like that, but yeah, it's, there's still some good tennis left to come. A couple of matches here before, before it's all getting shut down, but um, you know, tennis is in a good spot right now. I think we got, still, we got the likes of, Serena Williams, the Federer's and the Nadal's, Djokovic just hanging around, but the the up and coming talent, the Andre Rublev, the Medvedevs, the Naomi Osaka's, the uh, Carolina Pliskova's, the Simona Halep's, and the women's game, I think will make some for some good tennis down the line here, and, and the Coco Goffs. It, it's it, tennis is in a good spot, and I think when you lose losing Serena Williams, I think will hurt the sport more than anything. And hopefully the women's tennis can still stay as, as popular as it is right as it is now, because I think it's, it's at a pretty high peak right now when it comes to popularity. Um, so yeah, keep, keep your, I'll keep you guys updated on, on results. Uh, like I said, the sec, the second men's semifinal will be uh, early tomorrow morning and I'll update you guys tomorrow on, on the outcome and on where, where this is going. Um, Moving to the NHL, um, yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs fans are, you know, they're, oh, they're special people. Um, I've never seen people overreact to both wins and losses and, you know, beating, beating Montreal that one time, uh, two weeks ago on that Wednesday night, it was as if you, know, you planned the parade. I had a podcast and, and the thumbnail was, uh, Toronto planning the parade and it was the biggest win ever. And then, but then they Montreal plays them Saturday and Montreal wins, but Oh, that's okay. Well, Toronto has been playing really well lately. So they're due for a loss. Oh, okay. So that's, that's just how it goes, but I'm fine with that. That's a good, that's a good answer. You do for, they are playing. I'm fine with that answer from the, from the fans, but Monday night, they're playing Ottawa playing great. Matthews is scoring goals at a record clip. Team looks good. Frederick Anderson's been playing 
you know, pre- pretty decent so far this year. I don't think he's been great by any means, but he's playing a lot of hockey, which is also a problem. Um, but, you know, they're great. They're 5-1 against Ottawa. You know, Ottawa had three wins prior to uh, that game. So they're not very tough competition. That's not me saying something that you don't already know. But then you go into a third period. And for me, the Toronto, it could be Monday night. It could be last night. It's called situational awareness. And I think they lack it. And that game Monday night, they're up 5-1. They start the period on the, on the power play. How do you not know how much time's left on the penalty? That's on coaching, but it's also on players. If you played hockey at any kind of level, look at the effing clock. Know what's coming. Know what you're up against. And for Artem Zub, just come out of the box, some defenseman who hadn't scored an NHL goal, and get a breakaway? That Come on. Like, Riley, bro, do something. You need to know what's happening. And, you know, what was bashed later was the Tavares turnover later in the game, which was terrible. But the more – the the people that just defend Morgan Riley and oh he's a oh he's a number one defenseman he isn't and that's fine but for him you're the leader of the decor you're the best defenseman on the team at least you should be how do you not pick that up you, it needs to happen it needs to happen it, it bad teams can at least know situational awareness Detroit can say okay we got a penalty they're coming out of the box in 14 seconds. Let's have a guy cover. You can do that. You can still be a crap team, but it, at least you're aware of what's happening around you. Toronto wasn't. And what worried me about that game and the loss Monday night, the collapse, it was meaningless in, in the big picture. And I, I mean that. I'm not, they lose the game to Ottawa. You know, Frederick Anderson let in a few stinkers that he'd want back, I'm sure. Um, you know, again, the John Tavares turnover, horrible. Um, and you know, dad scored, they almost scored, you know, Riley almost scored in overtime. You know, they were seconds away from winning that game, but they did it and they choke it up and gag it up. Like only, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs know how to do, but it's, it's more about the big picture. It's not about Monday night. It's, I thought last night's response so to speak which I don't think they really needed a response to a loss you know they lose one game and it was in overtime to get a point so good on you it it was it wasn't great last night if you watched that game I I didn't think Toronto played very well at all I didn't think Ottawa played that great either the game was a bit of a stinker but they turned the puck over frequently um they're getting opportunities but the big picture concern for me is that Matthews is going to score goals all year. He's got 14, you know, good, good on you. But who else is going to score? I mean, Alex Kerfoot scored last night. Uh, good for Alex Kerfoot. You know, he's about, he's about as useful to me as like a lion. Um, if I was in, I'm in my apartment and there's a lion without a cage, I'm done. So if I have Kerfoot in front of the net, it's an empty net. I don't have a lot of faith. He's going to make it. He doesn't good. He scored a goal last night because it went off a shin pad and a goalie's head and then the post and good, good on you, Alex Kerfoot. But anyway, I don't need to bury him, but he's just, he doesn't do anything for me. 
John Tavares and Bill Nylander. Those are my big two right now. John Tavares has not scored a five and five goal all year. That's a problem. And to me, for the past two years, he looks a step behind of the play. He's always just a step. Behind. I'm not saying he's, you know, he's days down and he's not a good player anymore. No, I'm not saying he's just a step behind for Bill Nylander. Get to the front of the net. You did it last year. That's where you score goals. On the print, goalies are too good now and they're too big because it'll just hit their arm or something. Shooting from the corners, hoping to pick a corner, you're not going to score. Point blank. And I just, I need to see a more consistent effort from that line because they, they don't give you anything. Matthews, Marner, great. You know, you're going to, you're going to get your cookies. You're going to get your points. Good on you. You know, the media can try to win you both awards this year, which, which is, will be fantastic fodder, whatever. Um, but when it comes to the playoffs, one line is not going to win you a cup. And Wayne Simmons coming back will, will certainly help for sure. But the past three years, Wayne Simmons wasn't what he was in Toronto. We got to remember that. Was his play great or was it an anomaly? I don't think we've seen a big enough sample size to prove that yet. Joe Thornton's 41. He's feeling good because he's playing with the kids. He should be playing with them. Zach Hyman still should be playing with them, but that's another story. Um, but, you know, he's great right now, but he's, he played 19 minutes last night. You're going to expect Joe Thornton to play 19 minutes a game in the playoffs? He won't have any fucking legs left. Um, I My biggest – that second line – on paper, it should be fantastic. And I don't, Sheldon Keefe probably won't break up Marner and Matthews because he loves them together. And I don't blame them. They're great together. But if Tavares isn't going and Nylander don't get going in the next week plus, you got to think about putting Marner with Tavares, at least for a little bit, to get some confidence, to see a puck go in the back of the net, score a five on five goal. That's a, Jesus. That's the thing. Just, Five on five goal would be really nice and for, for these, for this team. And it's just their, their lack of scoring from other than the top line would really concern me. And I don't know what the solution right now, the solution for them is just, Oh, Matthews continue to score. Well, eventually he's going to go through lulls. And in the playoffs, when the game's tighter, when you're not playing all, when the, the biggest break for Toronto is, you know, you're playing in the Canadian division, which Let's be let's just be frank here. It's been dog shit so far this year. If you're watching these games, it's terrible. Like Calgary, Vancouver. I watched some of that game last. It was ugh, hard to watch. Then you got you know Edmonton, who in Winnipeg. Winnipeg, I thought would would be way better than they are right now. They're not. Dubois is now hurt. He's on IR. So. Other than Toronto, Montreal, that's it. That's that's who you got in the division. Your biggest break is that you get to play against these little baby opponents. So far, maybe they'll get better as the year goes on. They're not right now. But even so, you're not going to win a whole bunch of games with what you have there. I think adding a third-line center is a desperate need. Again, I'm going to bury Alex Kerfoot in this podcast because I just don't think he brings anything to the table. I think he's too small. I think he's too weak and he doesn't, 
He's not a, a checking center in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? Okay, you put him on a checking line against Phil Deneau. He's going to get his ass run over. Put him against Jacob Evans. I'm unsure he's the fourth line center. He'll murder him. It's You need to upgrade that. But for, for Toronto fans, just breathe. Just breathe, you know? The overreaction to a loss, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost laughable. And the media, too. Uh, you know, you lost Ottawa. You beat Ottawa last night. I'm not going to applaud you for either. Way to go. You beat Ottawa. You should beat Ottawa. When you beat a team you should beat, I'm not, give, I'm not, I'm not giving you credit. That's just, that's just me. Um, when you, when you got to go to work, you go to work. Does your boss say, hey, thanks for coming? No. He says, get your ass in the desk and let's get going here. It's the same thing. You punch, they punched their clock against the Senators the past two nights. They played them again tonight. That should be a riveting game tonight. I can't. Can't wait to see that one, but uh, again, I just for all the all the Leafs fans, and I know there's a lot of you, and a lot of you are suffering, and maybe you have a little bit of PTSD because you're just used to failure. Um, you know the David Ayers game in recent memory, the 2013 with the Bruins. And I'm sure you could name more, but just just breathe. You lost Ottawa. You beat Ottawa last night. They're both irrelevant. It's mid-February. If you lose a game in April, May, and uh, it's, a, it's a playoff game, then I'll have a different uh, outlook on this. But, yeah, it's – for right now, it's, 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 it's no big deal. Um, and, but we'll see, we'll see where this goes for Toronto. They got Montreal again Saturday night. Montreal uh, is not playing all week, so they, they'll play last Saturday. Their next game will be Saturday. So they'll be rested, but also I'd rather be Toronto playing games this week than coming in cold and having to play, you know, a good Toronto team. So, but yeah, the top two teams, uh, actually Edmonton jumped Montreal last night for, for the second seed in the division, but you know, they played three, three more games than them and thoroughly lead them by a point. So, um, but good on, good on Toronto to bounce back last night. I think it was the prettiest game. And, you know, they play again back-to-back tonight, and they might start Freddie Anderson again. It would be his 11th straight start. To me, you got to go with Hutchinson. I get it. You might have zero faith in the guy, and I understand that. But what if you lose tonight, what does it really do to you? Not much, because you're probably going to win the division anyway. If, if you have that much – if you're Sheldon Keefe and you got Austin Matthews and you got all the, all these great players – What's one loss? You're going to go beat Edmonton next week, Vancouver. You know, you're going to beat these other sad sack teams in a couple weeks anyway. What's you should beat Ottawa with Michael Hutchinson. I should make that clear right now. That should be the expectation for if he starts tonight for Toronto fans. If you don't win tonight, that's a disappointment for sure. Because if you're this great defensive team, like they're saying they are, it should be no problem defending Ottawa. They don't get many high quality opportunities. Um, so protect the house. This would be a good, this would be a really good test for Toronto. I think if Hutchinson started, that would make the game more compelling to me because then I might actually watch it other than, you know, watching these other better games tonight, like Islanders, Islanders pit tonight. You got, um, Washington going tonight. You got some Islanders. Yeah. Islanders pit game for me is, is the one to watch, but it, 
if that happens, I'll have it in the rotation when it comes to flicking around. Um, but we'll see. Hutch Hutchinson with Riley and Brody and, and the defense and the forwards having to defend a little more, seeing how they play a, a playoff style game. That's compelling to me. So hopefully that's the matchup we get tonight with Hutchinson probably against Hogberg, who's been, you know, could, couldn't have been worse so far this year for Ottawa. So we'll see what happens. Um, I mentioned Vancouver Calgary. They played last night in, in the late game and both teams don't know what to do with themselves. Uh, Vancouver should have won Monday night. They throw up all over themselves, give the game away with just stupid penalties, lack of work ethic from Jake Vertanen, which has been basically the calling card of his career. Uh, we see yeah, stupid penalties, stupid decisions, bad goaltending. And then Calgary. I mean, Calgary should, should have lost three out of the four to Vancouver. They get two of the four because of Jacob Markstrom. Last night, you know, he let in five, but wasn't was not his fault. He played well last night. And Calgary just doesn't bring it night in, night out. And I got to be consistent. My favorite player in the NHL is Matthew Kachuk. He hasn't been the same player as he's been the past couple of years. We don't see that edge. We don't see that bite. I think last night watching the Toronto game, Kachuk was, he came up on your screen. If you're watching that game, you're like, okay, who, who jumped out of the screen at me? Who was in, involved in the game? Brady Kachuk was in the game. He scored a goal, but that, that's, that's beside the point. He was on your screen. He was noticeable. A lot of games for Calgary, Matthew Kachuk just isn't. And I don't know what's going on with him. Usually he can bring guys into the fight, so to speak, where if there's no energy in the building, which there isn't because there's no fans, if the team's a little tired, whatever, whatever it may be, he can bring that fight, that dog. He's got that dog in him and make it a game where everybody's motivated and you see what happens. I haven't seen that from Kachuk most of the year. And for Calgary, defending, just giving up so many opportunities. The forwards, it's been tough. And for Markstrom, he's been under siege all year. I think he's been one of the best goalies in the NHL. I mean, he'd never win a Vesna because he's playing a, a team that's too inconsistent. But the way he's kept teams in games and you know, Saturday night um, after the Toronto-Montreal game, Vancouver should have won that one, what they did last night, 5-1. But they only won 2-1 because Markstrom was so unreal. And... But for, again, Vancouver, they just, they're so inconsistent. Well, they're so consistent that being inconsistent when it comes to just taking stupid penalties, having guys in their lineup that don't work. Like Travis Green, I think is a great coach and they signed Jake for Tannen. I feel like they have to play him because they let Markstrom go basically because of Vertanen. They gave him two and a half a year that could have went to Markstrom. Vertanen wouldn't, he's a guy that's, Overstate is welcome in Vancouver. I don't have a lot of faith he's going to have a consistent effort wherever he goes. I could see him being an Alex Galchenyuk in a couple of years where he's bounced around a team after team because his work ethic is honestly most nights pretty pathetic. Uh, his defensive play, we saw him how he had the puck on the boards. He basically just gave Lucic the puck. I get it, Lucic's a big, strong guy, but Vertanen should be able to get that puck out of the zone just by skating. Lucic is is a dinosaur when it comes to skating. He turns the puck over at the blue line, turns into a goal. And it's got to be so frustrating if I'm Travis Green saying, okay, 
Jimmy Benning, you kept this guy, but he's such a lazy fuck. He doesn't do anything for me. And again, I, I just, I don't see it from him, but for both these teams, Vancouver, Calgary, I don't have faith. I didn't, I don't have faith. Either of them is going to be a playoff team. Before the season started, I predicted they both wouldn't be. And I don't, I haven't been convinced otherwise. I like Winnipeg more than those two teams. I picked Edmonton to, to get the last spot in the North, which I also don't have a whole lot of faith in, but they've been playing better hockey lately, including a win over uh, Winnipeg last night. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a frustrating one for, for these two teams where they just can't find consistency. And yeah, obviously they got to hope to find it soon or they're going to be in big, big trouble uh, down the road here because Vancouver's already played a ton of hockey. Calgary, you can have games in hand, but if you don't win them, then games in hand is irrelevant. You know, that games in hand thing, it's only valuable if you take advantage of it. Uh, and, but we'll see what happens. Pivoting to the East division to start the year, the New York Islanders were really a mess. Uh, they were right there with the Rangers when it comes to disappointing teams, they didn't have game. They didn't really have a lot of jam. They weren't winning anything. Goaltending was spotty, but they've won four in a row. That includes winning over Pittsburgh. They beat Boston Saturday night in regulation and they've beaten Buffalo twice this week. We, they found their game, you know, good defensive play scoring from everybody, including the likes of, you got Barzell, you got Anders Lee contributing, Eberle. They just, they got a team full of guys that are just workers that are going to, not superstars, but just a good workmanlike team. And that's what you got to appreciate in Long Island. And they play Pittsburgh again tonight. But I like what the Islanders bring to the table. I, I predicted them to, to just miss the playoffs. I think this game's huge for both teams, obviously. Pittsburgh is a team that I've been saying for weeks, they're kind of in that middle ground when it comes to, are you a contender? Are you a pretender? I think they're kind of, they could jump into quicksand or they could go all in who knows. Um, But the Islanders, they look good. Um, I think this, like I said, it's a big game for both teams, but for the Islanders, you've won four in a row. Keep that momentum going. Uh, You beat Pittsburgh last week to start this thing. Keep it going against them. Obviously, Crosby's getting close to a thousand a thousand point plateau. I'm sure he'd love to to get it tonight. Uh, have a big night against. He's had some big nights in the past against the Islanders. Uh, if you remember when he first came back from his concussion, he had a five point night against the Islanders, including a hat trick um, way back when. Um, so he he likes playing the Islanders, but for for the Islanders, just just play your game. You've beaten Pittsburgh tons of time in the past, like and including last week. And you know, it's, a, it's a division where you're going to need a lot of wins to, to, to get through it. Um, and to win it tonight in regulation would, would do huge things for both teams because the Islanders would continue to move up the standings and it would keep Pittsburgh from, from gaining points. So down the road, I think this division will be the closest one. You got Washington who got a win against Pittsburgh Tuesday night. That was a big win for them after losing four in a row in regulation. Uh, you got Boston who just suffered a loss, second uh, regulation loss on Saturday. They play New Jersey tonight. You got Philadelphia who's been out for a long time with COVID. They'll be back on the ice tonight where they play uh, the Rangers. So I think this division is going to come out of the wire and a lot of teams are going to be really close in the standings. And it'll just depend on how 
how you do it, how, how you fare against these teams. But yeah, that's kind of what's happening in the, uh, in the East division. Before I moved to the NBA, I thought I'd talk about the Central a little bit and probably the most surprising and the most dominant team to start the year, the Florida Panthers. They are 10-2-2 two two, quietly. They're, they're first in the Central above Tampa Bay. Um, huge night last night from Jonathan Huberto. Two goals, one assist, including the overtime winner. Um, it For them, they've been doing it really with Chris Drieger and that. Bobrovsky's had some injury problems. He's been inconsistent. And Drieger's really took in the net and run with it for them. But, you know, they have a team that's full of misfit characters. I said this last week, but, you know, Barkov's been playing fantastic hockey. Huberto is still playing at a great level. They got this kid, Lukanen, who's looks like a player and he works really hard. I mentioned Carter Verhage, Hornquist. Um, Ekblad's improved this year. He's played better. Um, they don't have a team that's full of stars, but they just, they play as a team. They play good defensively. And, when they need to, they do have game breakers. I mean, Huberto in that overtime, he just basically said, this is my show. I'm going to end this game. And he did. He gets the winner against Alex, uh, uh, against uh, Carolina last night. Can you, I know the guy's name. I can't even pronounce this. Neglovich or something for, uh, for Carolina. But it's for 10, 2, and 2, you played 14 games. That speaks for itself. Yes, there's still a lot of games left. Don't get me wrong. But to start off this well is really impressive for me. Dealing with COVID, cancellation games, everything. Florida's done a great job at being a good team, being consistent, and having scoring from all all areas. Uh, you know, the bottom of their lineup, Huberto and Burkoff, like I mentioned, their decor chipping. Keith Yandel is a guy who can bring offense. Um, Ekblad scored a goal the other night. So for Florida, just a round of applause for them for just playing. I mean, this division has been ravaged with COVID with cancellation, you know, cancellations, you know, the big storm in Dallas right now, uh, Dallas, Texas. So the stars aren't playing. So neither is Tampa Bay. So there's been a lot of roadblocks for these teams to, to play games and, and to you know, be consistent, practice regularly, be, be ready, be uh, in game shape. But We've seen that from Florida. They just, they have it in them where they might come into a game, they might bring it to overtime, but they're going to find a way to win that game. Find a way to get to get the two points. And, you know, it's an admirable thing for them. In this division, it's really wide open. I think Tampa's a lock to make the playoffs. I think Florida, um, I think Carol, I, Carolina will make the playoffs. But we've seen, you know, Columbus has had a really tough start to the year. They, they're not a great team. Chicago has played fantastic so far this year. They're a team that just fights, fights, fights to get another win last night against the Red Wings. Two nothing. But you know, we've seen guys like Nicholas Baudin, Philip Kurashev, these young rookies come in, make an impact. Patrick Kane clearly playing great too. And who knows? I think Chicago, it's gonna be tough for them to play great all year, but they still have that winning nucleus. If Jonathan Taze could come back, who knows? Maybe they can push for a playoff spot. Dallas has played so few games, but they've been really inconsistent too. Hudobin's had to miss time, so Jake Ottinger's had to come in. They've, they're still dealing with injuries from the Stanley Cup final win. And 
who Florida could, could get one of those spots. I think, you know, Tampa winning this division to me is a lock, but that, that second spot is, is wide open. I think Carolina is a great team, but Florida beat them last night. So, you know, go figure. And I don't think Florida is scared of any other team. I don't think they're scared of Tampa and they've beaten them twice already this year, including a beat down one time. So they may just say, well, why not? We're going to go for broke. We got Joel Quenville. Hopefully Bobrovsky can come back, play consistently and just play in general. Uh, you know, Chris Drieger has been an excellent backup, but you don't want Drieger to be in that starters net come playoff time. But with, with this central, it's completely wide open. And I thought that would happen before the year. I think a lot of people thought this would be the Canadian division where it just isn't. But, you know, credit to teams like Chicago for, for staying in the fight and, you know, putting up, putting up a good war to see if they can make the playoffs in this division and, and make an impact. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of hockey stories again tonight. We got some good, you know, Phillies returning to the ice. They'll play the Rangers. We got Pittsburgh and uh, Long Island. This weekend, we're going to have two outdoor games as of right now. Uh, Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we'll see uh, Colorado play Vegas. And then on Sunday, we'll see Philly play Boston. Um, both these games are scheduled to be at Lake Tahoe. So both outdoor games in the afternoon. Uh, you know, the outdoor games kind of hit or miss for me. Uh, I think they do it too often now, the NHL. But it might be refreshing just to see it on, in the afternoon and see what happens. But... Um, no, uh, just you know, Austin Matthews, credit to him. He's got 14 goals already this year. Brock Besser is second to him with 12. Um, but you know, Matthews looks like a different player. And you know, just I'll talk about awards on another podcast. I don't. I read last night that you know Jumbo thinks Austin should be mat, uh, nominated for everything. I have a I have an opinion on that, and it's it's not Joe's. Um, but. Yeah, I'll get that maybe tomorrow. I'll, I'll bring that up and talk about awards and kind of who I see winning them at this point. But uh, yeah, a lot happening in the NHL, full slate of games tonight and then into a busy weekend. So I'll, I'll be back tomorrow to talk about the NHL and, and what happens there. Um, the NBA. The NBA has kind of been tough to get through. So there's been a lot of cancellations. There's been a lot of blowouts. Uh, games just haven't been that close. And the Toronto Raptors had a tough start to their season. They started two and eight. Uh, they're, they're chasing it from the beginning. And um, they, they sort of found their game. They've beaten some teams they should beat. They beat up on the Charlottes of the world. They beat Orlando twice in there. They've beaten the Detroit Pistons. You know, they've beaten some bad teams, but they've climbed their way back into a playoff spot. They're coming to the game ranked seventh last night or on Tuesday night. And they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, Milwaukee's finished first in the East the past two years. So they go head-to-head. And even after Kyle Lowry leaves with an injury, the Raptors defeat the Bucks, And it's a big win. Uh, you know, Milwaukee's been really consistent. The Greek freak coming off two straight MVP seasons hasn't looked that great to me early this year. They've been missing Drew Holiday when it comes to injured. He's been injured. But... The Raptors, you know, they they play hard. That's the best thing you can say about them. And, and you got a guy like Fred Van Fleet, who was undrafted, who, you know, was a huge part of them winning the championship, gets a big contract this past offseason. He's validated it. I mean, his scoring close to 40 
last night scoring uh, 54 uh, two, two weeks ago against Orlando. He's just a baller, and he gets that ball in his hand. He's not afraid to shoot the three. He can bring it to the hole. You know, Siakam has played better as of late. Um, you know, OG Ananobi's been been out hurt for a long time. But, you know, this Raptors team still has that championship fervor in it, and it has – it fights. That's the best thing you can say about it is that it's going to it's gonna fight every night. It usually – the Raptors don't get blown out often. And I think it's part about Nick Nurse's identity as a coach saying, you know – Maybe Brooklyn's better than us, but we're going to hang around the fight tonight. We're going to make this a game for them and things like that. But a big one, like I said, they're in the seventh spot, just ahead of Charlotte. They got Chicago below them kind of creeping in there. But I, I like the Raptors' chances of making the playoffs. I thought they would finish around this spot uh, when the season started. So, so this checks out for me. But, you know, they do have an opportunity to, to rise up. And I say that because – you know, Milwaukee's been really inconsistent. Again, they play Milwaukee tonight. That would be big. Move up the standings. Milwaukee loses. You get a win. The Boston Celtics have been really inconsistent. They lose to Atlanta last night. Again, they've had some COVID problems with Jason Tatum. Just hasn't has come back. Hasn't looked like the same player. Um, I, I look at like Indiana, I think, can trail off. Uh, there's just teams there that they could rise, maybe get a fourth, fifth seed, which I, I didn't think would happen before the year. But you never know. I think they could if, – if, if you ask me, are they going to rise in the standings or, or drop, I would say they're going to rise just because of the competition around them, some of the quote-unquote better teams not being so good, and you know, just having that championship DNA, that fight that Nick Nurse loves to have in his players. And But, yeah, good win for the Raptors. Again, they're – playing Milwaukee again tonight. So a back to back or sorry, a home, a home and home against Milwaukee, but yeah, good, good effort from the, from the Raptors lately to get back into a playoff spot after a really tough start and to, to show what you got, so to speak. Um, but the real headline in the NBA has been the Utah jazz. Uh, the Utah jazz have won 20 of their last 21 games. They, they, they lost the winning streak at about 13. Then they get back on one. It's, they're just so impressive. They come at you in waves and they got a really deep team with, you know, Donovan Mitchell, who a superstar esque. Uh, he's a really good player. You got Rudy Gobert is one of the best center and one of the best defensive players in the NBA. You got Bogdanovich who can shoot. You got O'Neal who can shoot. They just got a team, Mike Conley. Uh, they just have a team, Jordan. Uh, they just got a team that you got to be reckoned with. I mean, it's just to point out a fact the other night, they had 40 point game from Jordan Clarkson and he's a bench player and they won the game, but he only played 29 minutes, 40 points. I mean, that's a luxury off the bench that a lot of teams don't have. And, you know, they do. Um, I think they can push the Lakers. I, they don't, they haven't shown themselves in the playoffs yet. And that's you know, where the proof meets the pudding, but they, they beat the Clippers last night, albeit underhanded, but, 20 out of 21 wins is impressive. And I just, I like what Utah has to offer. I think they're one of the biggest weaknesses for, for the Lakers is their center position. You got, they got Marcus all who's, you know, he's long in the tooth. He, he just is, he was great in Toronto, what he could add, but right now he just doesn't bring anything to the Lakers. He's not big enough to, def he's not uh, athletic enough to defend. He's too slow. He's not shooting the ball. Well, they need an upgrade uh, for me to really be a threat. 
maybe Andre Drummond's that guy. They're gonna have to move some money in, money out, which which will be tough. But he he's a guy that rebounds that would really help that team take some of that burden off of LeBron to rebound. And but I think they could battle with the Lakers. Again, the Lakers are without Anthony Davis right now. He's supposed to be out two to three weeks. You got to worry about his injury history. He's been banged up a lot ever since coming out of Kentucky. He was he was always hurt. So I think they got to be cautious with this approach. I mean, obviously, Anthony Davis is their second best player. You don't want to rush, rush him back. You don't want him getting injured right before he steps back on the field. But, you know, Utah, even with Davis, I think they can give them a run for their money because you got Mitchell, you got Con- you got a bunch of guys who aren't going to be afraid of LeBron that are just going to bring it night in, night out and see what, see what happens. But for them, who knows where this is going? You know, fans are pouring into more and more buildings, including a lot of them in the NBA. Maybe by the end of the year, you can get, I don't know, 40% capacity in Utah. And Utah's got the one seed, Lakers are two or three, and you got to come in there and play them. That's not going to be an easy task. And, you know, with that fan base as loud as it, as it is and the history in there, maybe that can have a, a slight difference on, you know, LeBron's game or some of those bench players where, you know, an empty building in Utah, what's different about that than, you know, being in an empty building at Staples in LA, some palm trees and a little bit warmer weather. But other than that, you're, you're doing the same thing. So I credit the Utah jazz. I think they've, I, they were my sleeper team before the year to really do well. I didn't think they'd be, obviously be doing this well. I thought they'd finish top three or four in the, uh, in the Western conference, but they've really showed people what they, what they have in the tank and their heart as players. I think Gobert took a lot of heat for, for COVID and touching the mics and all that. He's come back this year, played great. Donovan Mitchell and him seem to be close after those, there was rumors that maybe Donovan wouldn't want to play with him anymore. I think those have been put to bed here and we, good on Utah for being a quote unquote small market team, developing a great team, not having to go out and acquire, you know, a super skilled player. And they're building a winning campaign there under Quinn Snyder, where he's, he's probably the, he's the favorite for coach of the year right now. And we'll we'll see what, what they got to bring in in the, in the future here, but I like where they're trending. And um, yeah, I, I just like, I like what they have to offer in Utah. I think they're a fantastic team. Um, I'll close with the podcast today, starting with uh, with the Genesis Open again. The golf tournament. It's it's good. The NFL is gone. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm not happy about that, but I am glad that we have golf. Uh, yeah, it's a good little replacement for me. You get some golf going. Get the Genesis this weekend with some great players. Again, I mentioned Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas. Uh, Colin Morikawa. I mean, you got major champions galore in this tournament in this field. It's going to be must watch golf, uh, especially, you know, you get to Saturday and Sunday, you look at the leaderboard and you're like, okay, who's going to, who's going to go six under today and really take control. We've seen the past couple of weekends that, you know, Jordan Spieth be really in contention. I don't expect, I don't expect him to be in contention this week. Uh, there's too good of a field. He's, you know, he's playing good golf, but with that driver as bad as it is right now, I don't see him making a huge impact in this tournament. But you know, this is a big, you know, again, it gets people out. It's Riviera. It's a good course. It's a big tournament. And it's exciting to see it. You know, you got the Masters in a little over a month. We got the players before that. And I, for me, every weekend is just a new opportunity. And I, I like 
what I'm seeing in the PGA tour right now. You got a lot of guys with personality. You got guys like Kepka, you got DeChambeau, who's this completely new freak when it comes to you know, lifting weights and being, you know, a mad scientist. Um, but golf's done a, a better job at promoting their players. You still have Tiger Woods when you need them, and that's obviously going to sell. But I do think they have enough characters. You still have your Rory McElroys. You still have your Dustin Johnsons, but you have your characters when you need them to sell that they will. And uh, so I like, I like the direction of golf in a marketing sense, but also the product is so fantastic right now. You got, you know, Dustin Johnson, who just last summer, just looked like you couldn't lose. And obviously wins the masters. You know, he was superhuman last summer, the way, way he was playing golf. Uh, Justin Thomas, he's a favorite to win every tournament. He put, comes in, does the same thing. He's so consistent. You know, the first day he's normally going to be, five, six under and have a good chance of making a dent and obviously play into the weekend. But yeah, the Genesis this weekend, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we get tennis finals, we get hockey all weekend, a couple outdoor games, um, UFC Saturday night with Derek Lewis headlining uh, against uh, Curtis Blades. So a lot happening in the world of sports. Uh, Carson Wentz, as of right now, is still a Philadelphia Eagle. Deshaun Watson is still Houston Texan, but there's new rumors every day. So I'll keep you guys all up to date on that. Um, something that was announced yesterday that I might try to do here on the podcast. And you let me know in the comments, if you're interested in it, I might cover uh, big brother Canada. Uh, it starts March 3rd. I've I'm a big um, competition fan. So I've watched every season of survivor. I've seen every season of us, big brother and Canadian big brother. Uh, I like social strategy, that sort of stuff. I'm a big chess, chess guy. So I see uh, this, those games as, as the ultimate, you know, game of human chess, uh, so to speak. So if, if you're, is that something you'd be interested in? Just let me know in the comments. Um, I'd like to get a co-host for the show. So if there's any fans out there that really love big brother Canada, let me know. And I'd love to partner with you for the show. We could do one or two podcasts a week, figure out a schedule that works for both of us and, you know, cover um, the new cast of characters that enter the, the BB can house on uh, March 3rd. But yeah, a podcast coming tomorrow morning. I'm doing an interview with Craig tomorrow night uh, on under review. Should be back Saturday morning uh, with another fresh pod on, you know, the uh, results of the tennis and, and everything that's happening. But yeah, everybody uh, enjoy, enjoy your Thursday. Thank you so much for the support and, and listening and following me uh, so far. This is episode 60. So uh, just, it's great. To, it's great to have gotten here at this point, but everybody have a great day. Take care and we'll talk soon.